The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Block Talk podcast with me, Brian Welsh, and Jax Bruce. Jax, what have you been up to? Um, I've ordered myself a new phone, Brian, so it's, uh, I'm trying to de-apple my life. And oh, wow, okay. I've got a Fairphone, which is a circular economy phone, and you get a little screwdriver with it so it all comes apart, it's repairable. Um, it's remanufacturable um, and it all sits within that circular economy, which is brilliant. So, yeah. Fabulous. So today we're actually all together today. So today we're talking to Crawford Burns, who is the commercial manager for CPL. Um, today could be a bit more interesting, actually, because Arthur's in the office as well. Um, so he may join in at times if someone passes the window or a dog passes the window. Anyway, today we're talking to Crawford Burns, who is the commercial manager for CPL Blockworks and Inspect. Crawford's been part of the team for about three years now. Before joining CPL, he worked in the construction sector, delivering health and safety software for about 10 years. Prior to that, he worked in retail and customer service and in account management roles. Apparently, and I did know this, in his spare time, he enjoys doing that ubiquitous Scottish hobby of Monroe bagging. So much so that he has bagged around 80, uh, but I think that leaves him a couple of hundred to go. Crawford, how are you doing? Hey, good, yeah, good, Brian, thanks. Um, just for absolute clarity, there are 282, so that still leaves me 202 to go. And given, given that I'm now the wrong side of 50, I, I, I'm, I'm st- I've still got that as a challenge now for me to try and complete um, at some point before I, uh, before I leave this, before I depart from it. <laughs> It's funny, no, but it's funny because um, one of the one of the things I really quite like to do is um, my brother. My brother's a couple of years younger than me, and for my fiftieth, uh, we were supposed to do the what's called the South Glenshill Ridge, and that's that's a seven and rows you can do in one day. Right. Um, so when you talk about you know uh, you can kind of go through phases where you can maybe do seven or you can do the memoirs, and I think there's about ten in the memoirs, that kind of thing. So you can knock off a whole load at a time, but then some that are really quite remote, and then. You know, the lovely ones, the, the, the uh, cooler ridges over in Sky, which um, you know, obviously I've got fabulous, uh, fabulous scenery for, but they're really, really quite challenging in terms of getting there and then the actual accessibility for them and your skills that are needed. Uh, clearly with them um, lockdown not being particularly kind in terms of putting on extra weight, then I think that needs to be worked off before, before I start to take off any more of them. <laughs> So talking of lockdown, how has the last year and a half to two years been for you? Thank you. Um, you know, I've, I've, said, I've said from day one that I've, I personally found it really quite challenging. Um, I live on my own, and as a result, the, the, whole, the whole bit about coming into the office and that, that routine and mixing with your peers and all the clients and prospective clients, that changed dramatically for me, and I found that really, really tough to start with. Um, 
it got better. There's absolutely no question it got better. But then as the kind of lockdown thing changed, we were allowed to do certain things, we weren't allowed to do others. Uh, we've only started to come back into the office in the last few weeks, which has been really positive for me. I've really started to enjoy that again. Um, but, but I would say probably mentally probably more challenging than I've, than I've had for a long time. You know, just, just that sort of period of time and spending so much time on your own. Yeah, it's really good actually because there's a few of us now coming kind of Tuesdays and Thursdays, yeah, and it is yeah. it's a good crack. And you can, whilst we were sitting here in the one room, socially distanced, you know, um, it is it is actually good to to see people again and stuff like that. So, um, and I don't I don't know who put this question here, but we're going to ask it anyway. So, uh, you've been with the team for a while now. Why are you still here? Um, <laughs> I think that was actually a question I came up with. No, it's um, it's one of those. I, I think I think the CPL business is one of those. Uh, it's one of those businesses that each one of the clients that we deal with are, are different. So, from a, a commercial role perspective, it means every single conversation you have with a client is different from the one that you've had before. So, some of the roles I've had historically, um, if if you go back to when I was in my late twenties and moving into my early thirties. You were essentially selling, selling the same stuff to the same people over and over again. Whereas what we have is we have got a small portfolio of clients, although obviously we're very dominant in the Scottish market, but each one of those clients has got different challenges around how they run their business, uh, the, the people have got to work with them, the size of their portfolios. And as a result of that, we have different solutions that we can provide to all of them. And I think that still remains the case. So when we get new clients on board, some of them can be, uh, excuse me, Excuse me. Some of them can be quite small, but even a small client has got their challenges that go with them. And we also get to work with. I mean, on a daily basis, I, I guess I work pretty much with most of the other people that are involved in the business. So, uh, part of the support team I, I work with well inside the development team. Certainly, Cameron from a uh, implementation and project perspective, uh, and Jack's obviously sitting in the podcast with us today from a marketing perspective around. How we're telling our stories about our products, our wins in the business, the challenges that we've got, um, and the fact that Brian's obviously here with us today, uh, I think him and I probably talk most days because clearly, from a commercial perspective, when you're working for one man that owns a business, your targets move every single day. <laughs> <laughs> what well, only once a day? What do you, what do you mean you've had targets? No, no, I just need to double it. Four years, four years almost into, you know, four, four years almost into a role, and I think we're still laughing and we're still smiling, and I think that's a, that's an important part of any of any job to make sure that you enjoy it. Good, good. No, I, I would agree with that. I totally agree with that. So, um, obviously, or professional development, personal development is obviously very important in in anyone's career. Um, what have you learned since starting at CPL? Well, I think I think. <laughs> Go back to the back to you again, Brian. Um, I think when you're working for someone like Brian, it teaches you always to be thinking about what's next. Yeah. So so inside that inside CPL blockworks and inspect, um, it's about it's always about tomorrow. So you know today we've managed to do X. Yeah, that's great. But what we do tomorrow? How are we moving forward? What we're going to change? How we're going to improve? How we're going to get better? And ultimately, I guess. You know the the one thing I don't and and never really mention about that is and how much money is ever going to try and bring in uh, subsequently. So I think um, it's you know CPLs are business are considered as a driver in the sector. So um, the challenge with that is that you always have to be thinking about 
new things and what's next. Mm. And that's not just from a, a product development perspective, but also from a, a commercial perspective. So how can we help our clients improve um, in terms of the technology that they're using, sometimes it's efficiencies, uh, and sometimes it's, it's things that clients will chuck at us that are new ideas around how we can develop our software or, or make our processes better. So, yeah. Good, good. Sorry about that. The dog was about to electrocute himself on a, on a cable. He's, scratch, he's scratching at an extension cable here. Papa, sit. Do you listen to me? No, you're not. Okay, well, that's not that's not that's not new from him. Okay, no, no, I, I would I would agree with that. And you know, at the end of the day, you've got to be thinking about you've got to be thinking about the next week, month, six months. Not only from a sales perspective, but but what can we do and what you know, where is the business going and what can we do to further kind of help our clients and, and develop the business and develop the technologies we use. So I totally agree with that. Um, so we spoke to Will. When, when he did the podcast about Blockworks, which you're also working on, you're very much part of the kind of development, well, product roadmap, I suppose, um, the marketing element of that with Jax and also the sales element. How's, how's that product going? Blockworks has, been, Blockworks has been really, really interesting over the last 12 months or so. Uh, we've, um, we've been running a, a pilot phase of the product for a uh, you know, a period of time, and we've had some very, very positive feedback around um, how simple the product is to use. Um, the concept behind it is essentially to join up the contractors um, that work for our clients electronically with the clients, so that it cuts down an awful lot of time in terms of process of raising invoices, getting quotes to them, even a communication between client and uh, property factor, contractor and property factor. So um, it's one of those, it's, I mean, it's a really, really exciting project. We're, we're planning um, for a release of the next uh, phase of Blockworks on uh, in the early part of November. And at that stage, we should then be able to roll out uh, to more of our clients. So I'm really looking forward to the kind of feedback that we start to see from more of the clients inside the sector uh, so that we can just work on that to improve the product even further and get some some more additional features in there that, that really add value to the client base. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, we certainly, it's been, been a long time in the making because I remember we launched uh, or we looked at a product that did this a good four or five years ago, but um, moved on to something else. I mean, to be fair, maybe we should have spent a bit more time on it, but but there were other other things we could give the market at that time. So I'm glad we revisited it when we did because it certainly certainly does seem to be getting a, a fair amount of, um, of talk time with our clients, yeah, yeah, no, which is good. Fair. I, th I mean, I think the other thing is that when it comes to when it comes to us developing products inside the marketplace, uh, some of those we really, really drive um, very much by by client needs, wants, and desires, and others uh, they're driven very much by us. And I think that the fact that CPL have been around uh, pretty much uh, we're kicking on in eleven years now, uh, the changes that that you particularly and well in terms of development have brought into the market. Uh, I think sometimes the clients really look to us to see what's coming next. And Blockworks, I think, Blockworks, I think, is one of those. Um, and the fact that we can tie it in so closely with the functionality that we've got inside CPL, I think that's a win for both the contractor, uh, but also from the from any of the property factors that are using our software. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. 
So you recently did some video content for Flat Living magazine. Did you enjoy doing it? I, I, I must admit, I watched it and it looked like the Crawford Burns show. <laughs> but I did. I did. Um, it's actually, it was really, really enjoyable. Rebecca Kelly is a very, very, uh, very, very engaging individual. Um, and we kind of ran through very quick sort of demos on, on the three products. And it's, it's really interesting because one of the things, one of the things that Rebecca had said before we kind of kicked off is, Whatever you do, don't become too embroiled in doing a whole bunch of features and benefits on your product. And she said that she'd had people um, that had been on before that had ran through all of the features around the products and all this kind of stuff. Um, and ultimately, let's be really, really honest. You know, when you when you're looking at things like property factoring software, it, it's not the, the most massively exciting thing to look at on screen. So yeah, so you can understand where where ultimately you're. Um, your audience would could easily lose focus and lose their engagement. Um, but no, thank you. For, you know the fact that it was a proper bunch. I think that's. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy. I'm quite appreciate that. Rebecca seemed to enjoy that kind of thing. She actually said something really interesting. She said that the, the tone from the Scottish voice is actually very very engaging for for, for lots of people. Um, and she found that um, the time that we kind of spent together. Uh, what came across from it was was very very relaxed, and it's not something I've done an awful lot of before because I really hate looking at myself on screen. So so for me, no, I've great fun. I really really enjoyed it. I, do, I definitely do. Yeah, I think I think for for me the one the one thing that I mean predominantly where we work mainly in the Scottish market, you know. So I think to get that kind of exposure in the English market is good for us because it definitely it is a market that we can we can serve. It's just that we spend so much time in, in, on our on our clients in in the Scottish market, and and I suppose you know it, it's it's very very difficult. You know, the, the, when you go to the English market, there are just so many block management companies. And I really do feel like in 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 Scotland that we we give a very very personal service to each and every one of our clients, and that would be dif difficult to replicate at scale in England. So we'd have to find a way to be able to do that. But certainly, it's still a market that we that we that we want to get into. Yeah, I think that's actually a really valid point because one of the, one of the things about us as, as an organisation, and I guess particularly in my role around commercial management and account management, is that. I do have relationships with every single one of the clients, and we talk to most of them, if not on a on a weekly basis, certainly on a, on a monthly basis. Yeah. As you say, uh, that's maybe one of the, the massive pluses about CPL as a business. Um, any client at any point in time, and most of them do have, um, you know, they've got your they've got your phone number, they've got your mobile number. Mm. You know, so if we do have challenges inside the business, that either uh, Will or I can't uh, can't provide a solution. Directly to, to, directly to the client for um, they've always got access directly to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be that. Yeah, we find a way to replicate that. Yeah. yeah. So, how do you see the industry changing over the next five years? I think I think this is I think there's almost a default answer for this one. Where it's dead easy to turn around and see that um, you know technology is one of the things that you can always because you can always add to to an industry. Um, but I, when I, when I spent all the time that I did inside construction, which was six years with the, the sort of safety management side of it, construction lagged massively behind in terms of technology. But construction as a as a sector, I think, is worth around eighty billion a year. You know, it's a massive, massive sector inside the UK market. But technology is not one of the things that drives construction um, process. 
and and uh, their ability to be lean inside construction really drives it because it, they've got such a small margin that they work, that they work to. Uh, so it would be easy to turn around and say inside this inside our sector, um, you know, the, the technology, you know, bringing in more technology would obviously make a massive difference to it. I think there are two things um, that really kind of spring to mind, and that's um, I think that's I think for me the Factors Act and an increase in terms of how the sector is being regulated. I think those are two things which we'll probably see coming into play over the next five years or so. Uh, we've just had the update to the Factors Act in August, uh, and that's the first revision since it was originally uh, since it originally came into play. Um, but I think that. I think we'll see more of that coming in so that so that a lot of the organizations that work inside the factoring sector will become more regulated, which can only be a good thing in my opinion, because I think that increases the professionalism of the sector, but it also means that your end client um, ultimately, hopefully, is not a sector which has got a, a massively positive um, <coughs> outlook from, from the end client, and I think that'll change. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, certainly the makeup of our industry has changed significantly as well over the previous um, <clears throat> uh, in the last five years. You know, the, there's a few consolidators in the market, you know, um, picking up um, some of the other clients. And I'm, I'm not so sure. Um, I guess that will continue continue over the next few years as well. Okay, thanks very much, Crawford. So, as always, um, Jax has some uh, quirky questions for you or certainly the ones at the end of the uh, podcast. So, Jax, if you're still awake over there. <laughs> I saw you yawning a minute ago. <laughs> I know, but it's nothing to do with the problem. Um, so, yeah, three quick questions to finish off the podcast, Crawford. So, the first one is, what's your biggest failure across your entire career and what did you learn from it? Uh, uh, dead easy. Um, I was involved in a management buyout or an attempted management buyout about... 15 years ago and um, for a company that I've worked for for about 10 years and it never happened uh, and that that was that was really really disappointing thing one of the one of the things I found difficult about it was that that I, I, I tended to then and I still do to a fair degree at the moment but I tend to take things really personally and the fact that that no. failed I'm not doing <laughs> the fact the fact that 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 that, that, that failed um, I, I did I really struggled with that for quite a wee while um, I think that is really the way the way I felt about it was that um, I was prepared to put everything into it in terms of that business and the other two guys that, that were into management or potential management by out with um, they weren't prepared to put in the same degree or perceived degree if you like by me and I don't but that I don't mean money what I mean is time effort and commitment and all that kind of stuff um, and you know, I, I think really my my head told me that, but my heart was so involved in the business that I just kept on going with it and going with it and going with it. My regret, if I look back on it now, is not that we didn't we didn't um, we didn't we weren't successful with the MPO. I think my regret would have been that I probably shouldn't have done it with them. If I if I was going to do it, I should probably have done it myself. Um, and I think if I had done it myself, then it would have it would have been a success. It would have been a success because as it, as it turned out, because the management buyout was not successful, I ended up resigning. It was such a difficult position because we were, the company was owned by a VC at the time, 
And I think if you if you're owned by a venture capitalist and you try and buy the organisation and they turn you down and they're they are looking for buyers, it kind of leaves you in a really certainly left me in a very difficult situation. So so I left after that. So that that for me would definitely be definitely be a regret. The one that sticks in your mouth. Sticks in my throat. I think actually go I think the it's there's a lesson there and it's 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 who you go into business with you know you've got to have an absolute common goal you've got to all be willing to put the same amount of effort in and you know if it's down to money the same financial effort in as well and you know i've had a had a couple of businesses still have another business that has um that has that i'm only a, a part shareholder of and, and and i couldn't do that unless i had you know i don't know a full trust and, and and belief in all of the other people in the organization yeah. no i agree with you okay so if you rule the world for the day what would you do i knew he was going to say that i absolutely knew he was going to say that it's not for sale it's a really good question because um, for those of us that are old enough to remember when the National Lottery first kicked off, uh, one of the very first ever um, kind of jackpots was about twelve million pounds, and I don't know how long it was ago, but certainly fifteen years or something like that since the, the lottery kind of kicked off. And I was asked the question at the time: if you were to win the twelve million pounds, what would you do with it? What would you do? And my my answer to that still remains pretty much the same uh, today. If I if I was to rule the world, or if I was to win sufficient money inside the, the national lottery what would you do rule the world at end world poverty because i think that one of the challenges that we really have inside uh, probably more prevalent in the, the western world um, but one of the challenges we really have is that there's a massive amount of uh, disparity in terms of those that have and those that don't have uh, and for me and i thought i thought about this a couple of years ago for me uh, we should have a cap on the amount of money that people can actually have, and for me, for, for that that number for me is 100 billion, because I, I don't think anybody in this world has any need to have any more than 100 billion pounds. So uh, when you start to get to the point of being multi-billionaires, then that cash in my mind should be either distributed across those that don't have, or should be reinvested in things like infrastructure and education. In, in some of the countries that, that, that don't have the benefits that we have. So that, that would be my answer. Uh, my answer, interestingly, if I won the lottery, is <clears throat> what I would do is I would give my mother and my brother sufficient money to pay off any debts, any mortgages, anything that they have. Uh, and then I would actually spend a year um, working in a third world country, uh, contributing somehow to either to the construction of, uh, of schools or, or housing or something. That, that would be my goal. Yeah, if the first one happened, you would need to the second one. Well, that's very true. That is very true. Um, so, in a couple of years' time, when you're 70. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the oldest member of CPL, so, oh, actually, yeah, no, I think you are. No, maybe not, actually, maybe not. So when you look back at your life when you are 70, of course, in, in several years' time, um, what would you be glad you did or... Will you feel proud of something by or done already or you want to do? I, I, it's, probably, it's probably an obvious one for me, to be fair. I'd really love to finish all 282 of those. I'd, I'd like to complete them. I, I'm, I've, I'm on a, a group on Facebook, a couple of groups on Facebook, which are to do with 
uh, things like Scotch, Scotch Hill Walk and a well camping and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's amazing the number of men and women that are over 70 that are completers, as they call them. So that's those that have done all 282. And I kind of look at them and I think, um, you know, that, that, that really is something I'd love to, to still be able to do. And at 54, Kiki, you'd like to think, or 202 left, that, that, I would manage to do, that I would manage to do that. Unless obviously I drop in tomorrow. Thanks very much, Crawford. That's been really good. It's been really good to talk to you. Thanks for your insight. I did not know anything about um I knew you were a Monroe bagger, to be fair. I didn't know you had two hundred and two to go. I'm just I'm fifty one. I've probably got two hundred and eighty to go. <laughs> Maybe slightly less than that actually. Um, but but not not that much. I never knew about the management bias. So that's actually been really interesting for me as well. So thanks very much for joining, and I hope um, I hope everyone enjoyed that who's listening. Thanks very much.